This is Thinking Out Loud, a podcast about current events and Christian hope. Have a hard time putting those two things together? You're not alone. Our timelines may be filled with bad news, but Christ remains on his throne. So what does it mean to live in the light of that truth rather than the shadow of our never-ending dumpster fires? That's the question animating this conversation between Nathan Rittenhouse and Cameron McAllister, two Christian apologists who believe that true hope and realism go hand in hand. So let's think out loud together about current events and Christian hope. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And Cameron, can I just say how good it feels to say that? Goodness. It's been, I think, five months at least. I haven't looked at the actual date of when our last broadcast was, but Nathan, it's really good to be back, I suppose, in the in the Thinking Out Loud saddle. Yeah. Well, for those of you who have been with us for the past years, you might be wondering or might not be wondering what in the world happened to us. And so we thought we'd today give you a little overview of where we've been, what's been going on, and where we're going. So obviously we have more clarity about where we've been than where we're going, but we'd like to kind of uh, pitch a vision for you uh, based off of our past of the direction we'd like to take things with uh, thinking out loud as we uh, as we move into the future. So welcome along for the journey. You might want to strap in. This might take us a little bit longer than some of our other episodes, but we have a lot of ground to cover. And maybe to do that, Cameron, could you... Let's actually back up a full year. Let's look back into October of 2020 and in the in the RZIM world. And lots of people have said, hey, you you know, you need to address the elephant in the room. And and by that they mean, you know, the fact we worked for RZIM. I think, you know, elephant in the room. I've been in multiple situations where that phrase has been used. And I'm actually personally more interested in how somebody built a room that an elephant could get into. Um, But (laughs) uh, we could get on that rabbit trail of thinking. But really that's, um, yeah, I don't feel a need to go into too much detail in the the things that have made the news there, but I think we can both sort of share our personal stories and what brought us to this point. So yeah, you jump in and then I'll probably interrupt you as you go. Absolutely. October was pretty... Everything was changing. There was just this this feeling that, my goodness, so much of, of what you had thought you knew and thought you understood is really coming into question. I think in in many ways, a, a sort of a whole, to use a term that philosophers often kind of bring in here, a plausibility structure was kind of buckling a little bit. So I would just... A little semi-autobiographical detail here. I'd been with RZIM for 10 years. Nathan, you, I believe, was it seven years? Yeah, actually eight, yeah. Eight years. And so I remember, I mean, I remember very clearly sensing that major, major changes were were, were, were coming and that I was going to have to I was going to need to prepare to begin a new chapter of ministry. And so in of course in you know non-spiritual terms that means I was going to I was going to it wasn't a matter of of whether I was going to resign it was when 
I was going to resign. Yeah. So let's, let's so, give a little context yeah. to people who maybe are coming yeah. in sideways in this conversation. So October of 2020 was when Christianity Today ran an article saying, look, there's some more evidence. There had been allegations of sexual misconduct against Ravi in the past, who is the RNRZIM. So, you know, pretty foundational character in RZIM. There'd been allegations against him in the past. They had been held at a distance far enough that they seemed explainable by most of the normal channels through which we were getting our information. But then there was a lot more that came out. And so I remember in October uh, having a very uh, frank phone call with you and some other of the younger speaking team saying, look, uh, there's definitely enough smoke here that there's very probably a fire. We need an internal investigation into this to know what really happened. And I was happy to stick around as, as long as we were pursuing a course of action that looked like we were going to actually deal with figuring out what was going on our own. So that actually then did begin happening, but that's a little, that's the timestamp yeah, along very, in Cameron's story here. Very critical detail there. And well, I mean, I think, so it was the, there was the CT article and then there was the world magazine article, both mm -hmm. of which had very strong evidence. And I remember that's when I became convinced that it was, that these allegations were true. And I remember the line that kept coming to me was from the book of Ezra, actually. Hmm. You remember when he, that basically corruption is being exposed in the, in the Levitical priesthood. And there's that line where it says, I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. Hmm. And I kept thinking of that over and over again. That was what, what was recurring in my mind. And so I was, in my case, I wasn't, you know, waiting for the evening sacrifice in ancient Israel. I was sitting <laughs> on my front suburban porch. And I remember just during working hours, because of, remember also, this is coupled with the real serious surges of, of COVID-19. So I'm, I'm at home. I'm not in, in an office. We're all at home at this point. This was kind of, these were lockdown days. And so I'm sitting during working hours at home and really couldn't do much other than just sit there on my porch, sitting appalled. And of course, you know, reliving so many past moments and then seeing them in a different light. There's a kind of shadow over everything. So these were very strange, very, very painful days. And I remember also thinking, never in my life have I been on the phone this much, <laughs> because it's, it's, some listeners might be surprised to hear this. I'm I'm a co-host on a show called Thinking Out Loud, but I'm actually I'm an internal processor. I'm not an external <laughs> processor at all. But I was spending most of the most of my days just on the phone, processing, 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 nonstop, working through all of this. Mainly with the, the main victim there was was Nathan, of course. <laughs> but here's where we did a lot okay, of now we're arriving at a juncture that yeah we did a lot of thinking out loud episodes that uh <laughs> were were off the record we sure did yeah that we weren't clicking record and that's probably <laughs> to your advantage but here okay so now we're we're sort of arriving at a juncture where this is pertinent to you we were both nathan and i were were adamant that we wanted to continue to work together well first of all we're I mean, remember, we've done a whole episode devoted to the question, are we friends? And I think Nathan and I settled that, yes, we are indeed friends. So we wanted to continue our friendship, but 
we wanted to continue working together. There's a natural affinity and there's a rapport between the two of us that is just doesn't happen accidentally. And it's, well, dare I say it, it's kind of special. So we wanted to hold on to that and we wanted, and it turns out that other people did as well. So that's kind of where we, we kind of, we began to think out loud together about that and how we would press forward and what that would look like as we press forward together. Yeah. So one of the things that we, as we leaned into that, and let me just say here that I've, we learned a lot during the whole RZIM situation and I made long list of lessons that I've learned. We had a lot to process and to go over and there are some rich things that will come out of that. However, I've also sort of, I don't know if I want to put a timestamp on it, but committed to saying, yeah, I think I'm going to let those uh, marinate for about three years. I think there's still some dust that needs to settle before we bring some of that discussion and everything that's going on there to light. Um, so Cameron said, you know, he sat there appalled and we, we don't want to, um, there needs to be accountability where wrong things were done. Um, but there have been moments of forgiveness and reconciliation as well. And so I want to just point out here as we're making the switch that mm -hmm. when I resigned from RZIM, I did that being biblically faithful to, as far as it depends on me to live at peace with all men. Um, I, I don't have any animosity there, um, toward individuals who, um, there are people who did things that certainly caused a lot of uh, harm in other people's lives, a lot of brokenness there. And there are people who did some of those things in ways that were totally accidental and they did them based off information that they didn't have access to. And I feel like those people who have recognized that have apologized to me as that pertained to me and that I've offered them forgiveness and that we're on speaking terms. And so. Uh, I know that story isn't the same for every RZIM employee, um, but that's where I'm coming from to this, that I'm still in conversation um, and, you know, I'm on speaking terms with everybody um, and on wonderful terms with the vast majority of the team. And so say you're somebody who is really focused on this RZIM story and you've identified, you know, your, your top 25 people of irritation within the organization that you're upset with. Well, okay, there's still 90% of the rest of the team out there. And so I think we need to keep the relative numbers in perspective there when we're recognizing the friendships and relationships of what was and what has been lost. And so we have no in no interest in becoming part of the... Um, I want to be careful here with my words. There was a little bit of a cottage industry that sprang up around being appalled with Ravi and RZIM. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't legitimate times to really offer public critique and expression. I do think who you choose to process this with will show you where your true community actually is and that there is time for sitting in silence um, and processing some of these things before we speak publicly on them. And so thinking out loud is not going to continue in some kind of... Um, crime scene investigation of the history of all that went wrong in individual lives or in organizations. And that is not at all to say that we're giving a free pass to people um, who are involved in that, but that's not the future and that's not the present situation that we're currently in. And so I just wanted to, to interject that there um, as we make the turn to thinking about what's next for us is as Cameron said, we definitely wanted to continue uh, the work that we were doing together through thinking out loud. And then uh, actually our speaking invitations didn't stop. 
lots of people said, well, hey, can you still come? It's not important for us whether or not you work for RZIM. And we began managing kind of the difficulty of how are we going to piece together our lives and maintain accountability uh, fiscally and um, spiritually in our speaking. And so we began asking the question, is Thinking Out Loud a podcast or is Thinking Out Loud a ministry that also does a podcast? And we recognized that we would be better together if we put it as a ministry that has a podcast as a large part of it, but would also offer a platform for us to continue speaking and writing uh, in addition to doing a podcast. And so that's where we began to say, okay, we need to form this thing into uh, something that's a more structured organization. And I'll let Cameron give you some details on how that came about. Yeah, so the it was very important to us that as we began working toward a ministry that does a podcast, which was a pretty seismic shift <laughs> away from just a podcast that does ministry. And of course, that was Nathan has a penchant for formulating our conundrums into helpful, incisive questions. And that was the question as we were having these early conversations. Are we a podcast that does ministry or are we a ministry that does a podcast? It was really important to us that, first of all, we don't just click a re just hit a reset button here. We needed time to to pray, to think, and to really carefully reflect on not only what we had been through, but really on what the Lord wanted us to do. We we wanted to seek His will, and so it was very important to both of us that this wasn't going to be some display of our own ambition or ingenuity, but that there would be a real a real call and a real kind of drive from our Lord. And that might sound a little bit mystical, but that translates very practically, actually, because we're speaking to you now from wonderful, with wonderful recording technology and equipment that we didn't have before that ended up through, I mean, I'm going to sound like the, the reporter who says one thing led to another, but sure, this stuff all showed up on our doorstep because people got behind us very quickly and began to support us and to help us. And we had many emails, we had many phone calls of people saying, what's going to happen to thinking out loud? By the way, not only should it continue, but you should think about expanding it and doing more. Because <laughs> the difficulty... So basically not Cameron's only saying the reason you're hearing us is because it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> many of it's you your fault many, You've done, many, you, I, we didn't do it <laughs> many of you listening to this were those people yeah, I mean, who knocked on our uh figurative doors and said keep doing what you're doing so thanks for the encouragement yeah well i mean we didn't do this to you you did this to you <laughs> so that was both daunting and extremely encouraging but another factor here that was really remarkable and that was wonderful that as as all of this was going on, this was not the experience for, for everybody. Some people who were in our community at the time found themselves absolutely just all there. They were so shell shocked. There were seasons where, where they couldn't really do much of anything. They're, they weren't able to focus. They weren't able to read. They certainly weren't able to write and work on talks and produce content that did not ha that was not the experience for for Nathan or myself and i saw that not as as something that was that had anything to do with our own <laughs> innate capabilities there was a significance to that in that the lord had had much to had had we had work ahead of us 
we had more to do and the Lord wanted us to do more and to be faithful. So we continued, we continued working, we continued speaking, we continued writing. By the way, in the midst of all of this, my dad and I had a book come out as well. So this was such a strange season, such a surreal time for so many different reasons. You had the globe, you had a global pandemic of history making proportions. RZIM imploded. The place I had been for 10 years, my dad, Stuart McAllister, even longer. And then I had my first book come out, Faith at Lasts, with my dad. And so in the midst of all of this, I'm expected to also be promoting this book and with an eye to the future of what the Lord wants us to do and navigating the the changing, shifting sands of protocol and policy and masks. So it was it was just it's been it's such a it's been such a deeply strange time in many ways. But in the midst of all of that, there's been this real stability and this peace. It's a and it's a real peace. It's and it's it's a peace that it can only come from Christ because circumstantially there really wasn't much peace in my life. So much was disrupted and I know that's true not just for Nathan and I. I think that's true of of it seems to be most of us especially in 2020 and now continuing on into 2021. These have been years where we've kind of gotten schooled in human frailty and are con- you know the conditional elements of what it means to be a person. Probably not a bad lesson, but also a painful one. But in the midst of all of that, there really has been an amazing peace, and it's calmed me. And it's it's it. I've been able to continue thinking, focusing, and working. But what became very clear as we as we pressed into what would it look like to expand thinking out loud? Well, first of all, thinking out we decided louder. We, we've got to we've. Louder. It's got to be thinking. It's got to be thinking out louder, right? We, you, there's got to be more of it. We actually have listened to you. We've gotten a lot of feedback over the years, and the yes, if you boiled it down, it would say you. Most of you have been saying, "Go longer, do more." Again, we we're not doing this to you. You did this to you, so you're going to get more. We're going to be doing this. Not not. One, you know, I think we did bi-weekly. It's not going to be bi-weekly. It's not even going to be weekly. It's going to be twice a week. And for various circumstances, there were a lot of PR concerns there at the end at RZIM. So there were many current events that we probably that we weren't we were just weren't able to talk about. We're now in a position where we really can talk about what's going on. A careful a word about that though. We don't, you've probably gathered, if you've been a Thinking Out Loud listener, that we are interested in reflectively navigating what's going on. And we're not here to tell you what to think. We think you're perfectly capable of doing that yourself. You're smart. You're savvy. What we really want to do is is help in how we think, help in navigating this world with wisdom and discernment, looking at all of the information and making sense of it, not just being overloaded with it. And so that means that we're not going to be chasing headlines, and that means that we're not even necessarily going to go after every single sensational event that makes the news. So you probably won't have a Thinking Out Loud episode devoted to free Britney Spears. It's possible. 
But we're still, all that to say, we're still going to be selective and we're going to be careful. Twice a week doesn't mean that you're essentially going to hear a gossip column. That's That would go against the very ethos of what we do. But there'll be more of it. But also, the major focus of our of the ministry of Thinking Out Loud is bridging the gap between discipleship and apologetics. And so really what that means, and I'm, I'll let Nathan amplify here as well, but we really want to lean into character and what it means to be a person set apart for Christ. So essentially we want to, we want to help show and cultivate what it means to bring our actions into alignment with our convictions so that there's a seamlessness to our character and also what we think. Our thought and our action shouldn't be strictly separable. And that's really what we want to want to focus on as as a ministry. And we hope that comes through just organically in the podcast, in our comportment, in our interactions with one another, and with our guests, which we yeah. hope to have many of, by the way. So in the past, you know, when we were uh the RZ, under the RZIM banner, it was definitely a focus on evangelism and apologetics. And actually, I don't think we're actually changing our tone much, Cameron. We actually have been focusing on the apologetics and discipleship connection in a lot of what we've been doing. And that is not to say that we're giving up on evangelism by any stretch of imagination. But I think that as you look at what's happened, at least speaking for the U.S. context in the last two years, um, we're moving into different waters. We're now entering what I've been calling a, uh, well, we're not quite to the post-COVID part yet, but we're entering a post-Trump, post-Ravi, post-COVID world. And in that situation for the church to figure out how to be faithful in that context, one of the things that I think we really need to focus on, one of the summarizing words maybe to what Cameron was just saying is a focus on integrity, uh, recognizing that we've seen uh, a loss of that in so many areas, is the church has a lot of work to do in-house, I think, before we get too uh, high horsey about um, solving other people's problems. And so if you're going to invite people into your boat, I think our boat has a few leaks that need to be stopped in order to make that a, a good place. Um, so we're both very optimistic about the future of the church. There's a famous guy named Jesus that promised something about that. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't need to think specifically and strategically about our time and be attentive to the Spirit's leading and what it means for us to church well uh, in this era of the 21st century. And so what we want to do is, when Cameron's talking about that idea of bridging the gap between apologetics and discipleship, is maybe for a very reductionistic definition, classical, the way we would think of apologetics in the past, would say, um, why is the resurrection true? And th and that's a good question, and they're... And they're um, good talks on that, there are good resources on that. The angle that Cameron and I are interested in, in continuing to explore is, okay, that's a good question. Is the resurrection, did Jesus rise from the dead? But the other questions would be, what would my life look like if I lived like I believed that that was true? And so that's where the discipleship angle comes into this. It's not, it's not an intellectual ascent to a proposition. It's, if I know this to be true, then that should have some significant uh, and distinctive markers in my life if I live like thinking death isn't the end of all things. And so I think that's the, the place where the church has the opportunity to shine. 
and I actually think gets us back to the heart of the biblical definition of apologetics, that apologetics stems from the questions that people ask when they see that we uniquely have hope in difficult circumstances. And so it actually is in our living out the the logical conclusion of the propositions that we believe to be true, but also living out the fruit of the overflow of God's work and spirit in our lives that people become interested. And that's why we do focus on hope, which is not the same as optimism. Cameron is, is clear to point that out. But that's the direction we want to go. What if we slowed down, and, and, and that's part of what we're doing in this podcast. Like Cameron said, you're perfectly capable of thinking on your own. But sometimes it's helpful for me to talk to Cameron in order to slow my thinking down, to ruminate on ideas, and to say, am I actually looking at this from a Christian and a Christ-like perspective, or am I borrowing um, cultural fears and phobias and worries and language from the things that fill my newsfeed? And so that's what we're trying to do, is to provide a space not to say we're always going to get it right, certainly not to say that we're always going to resolve, but to challenge ourselves to ask those big questions about, am I doing this? Am I thinking actually Christianly? Now, by no stretch of imagination do we think that the two of us have the market cornered on this. This is not unique content in many ways, and we're pretty young and we're trying to figure out what this means in our own lives. So we're not the masters of knowledgeology here parachuting in to help you figure this out. We're on a journey of figuring that out ourselves. Now, that's not a journey of faith and figuring out whether or not we want to be Christians. No, that's that's uh, <laughs> we've had <clears throat> we have that sealed up. But it's a question of how do we express that and how do we do that? And part of the thing that I'm excited about here is that we recognize some of our limitations. I'm sure we have many limitations we don't recognize. But having Cameron's dad involved, Stuart McAllister, is one of the huge blessings for me of having someone who has a few extra decades of life experience, of having ministry experience, of having a little more gray hair, some of that wisdom creeping through, to be the director of ministry for Thinking Out Loud, and someone who kindly watches over our shoulders and uh, critiques and corrects and guides us along the way and gives us some broader context is something that we were really desiring to have um, in a more structured way within, within the ministry of Thinking Out Loud, and we're just thrilled to have uh, Stuart's willingness to do that. And he will be a voice that you'll be hearing on the podcast from time to time because it's he's a frequent person that I go to and say, hey, Stuart, explain this to me. And so you'll get to journey along with me asking uh, Stuart a lot of questions um, in upcoming episodes, and I'm looking forward to that. But that's a little bit about the heart of where we're coming from and some of the changes and the decisions we're making in order to emphasize that more clearly. And actually, to put Nathan on the spot here, it would be entirely possible these days to maybe get Nathan's famous grandpa on the show at some point. <laughs> the ever quotable. The ever quotable. Yeah, because before Nathan commits all of that to print, which he will do at some point because I'm going to put relentless pressure on him, we're going to get him on the show. That would be fun too. But yes, very grateful to have to have dad involved just with it for his wisdom and guidance and the experience he brings to the table and the faith, the years of faithfulness. I, I mean, a massive, probably the biggest influence on me as is actually pretty typical for better or for worse has been my mom and my dad. And I've been very fortunate to have a dad who has been a friend and a spiritual mentor as well as a father to me. And so being involved with him like this is just the honor of my life. I want to make a few comments also just to 
to kind of build on what what Nathan was saying with regard to apologetics, because I'm aware that some of that might be a bit jarring to some of us who have a certain understanding of apologetics. And I'm actually I've been working through some thoughts on this sort of in the background, possible book idea. So this is fresh in my mind. And now that we can go longer, let's go longer. But I think when you look at 1 Peter 3.15, that's the hallmark apologetics passage where we're commanded to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope or give a defense for the hope that is within us and then to do this with gentleness and respect. What Nathan was talking about earlier with regard to evidence for the resurrection, so evidential apologetics, I think that's, for most of us, the image that we think of. We think of providing a rational defense for our Christianity. I think that's part of the picture for some people. I don't think it's the whole picture, and I don't think it's what most people will do. So let me unpack that just a little bit. If that's a command to everybody, that can be a counsel of real discouragement and despair if people only have a kind of one-dimensional understanding of, a of an apologist. So if you're only thinking of somebody like a figure like William Lane Craig, obviously there are very few people who can do what William Lane Craig does. We're not all scientists, philosophers, lawyers, and academics, and that's okay. Peter knew that, by the way. So what's he getting at in this passage? Well, he's writing to Christians who are kind of living the lives of exiles in an empire, in a Roman empire, and they're living in a very countercultural fashion. They're not acknowledging the same gods as everybody else. They're living in a way that is very contrary to their surroundings. And people are asking them questions about that. People are asking them questions about why they are the way they are and why they live their lives the way they do. Those questions continue today. In America, and we can talk more about this in future episodes. The church, particularly conservative Christian cir circles, have had a, a fairly complex relationship with the government and have received certain benefits, and there's been a lot of influence in the past. So a lot of the apologetics questions that we get nowadays, why do you think this about sexuality? Why do you live your life like, life like this? They have a kind of a belligerent tone, and we're inclined often just now to automatically respond as, hey, how dare you violate my free speech and my rights? Those are actually apologetic questions because they're asking you about why you are living in a way that is counter to the cultural narrative around you. That's what Peter's getting at. But also, you're speaking not really from the heart of a philosophy book or a theology book necessarily. You're speaking actually from the heart of your relationship with Christ. That's where you're really doing your work as an apologist. C.S. Lewis has a really helpful essay that's not as well, we don't, it's not as well known these days. It's called On Obstinacy and Belief. He now, that was originally... Just rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, right. On Obstinacy and Belief. I was really nervous about saying that you know, out loud here. But it, it was originally, I think, delivered at, at the uh, Socratic Club in Oxford. And basically, the question that he's, that he's answering is, why is it that Christians often seem to stick to their... To, to Christ and just hold on to belief so stubbornly, even seemingly in the teeth of, of evidence against it, right? So let's just take obvious an obvious example. Just when life circumstances turn very, very dark, even though as Christians, we should expect that we live in a fallen world, but that's a side item. Usually when, when life becomes very, very difficult, when there's there's COVID-19, when there's everything is disrupted, everything's coming down, we're often inclined to say, aha, 
now, you know, now, you know, what's happening? I guess, I guess Jesus doesn't love me. I guess his, his faithfulness is, is maybe it's not real. Maybe he's left me. Maybe I'm abandoned. But what about those who hold on in the midst of that and say, no, Christ is faithful. Christ is good. In spite of all these circumstances, are they hiding from the evidence? Are they just not facing reality? And C.S. Lewis says, no, what's actually happening is there's a moment of ascent. And the moment of ascent happens when, let's say you're a skeptic or you've had serious questions and you've been looking at some evidence and you're finally persuaded that Christianity is true. So you've, you've, find it to be intellectually satisfying, and you give your assent. Okay, I agree. I think it's true. Jesus rose from the dead. But then something happens. Something very important happens to your thinking and to your heart, and it goes from a relationship of assent to one of adherence. So now you're no longer, as C.S. Lewis famously puts it, I guess, you're no longer faced with an argument that demands your assent. You're faced with a person who demands your confidence. Your relationship is now, well, it's relational. It's not propositional anymore. And I think the real heart of apologetics flows from the relational dynamic that you have with Christ. That's what Peter's getting at. Most of our idea of apologetics now, it's a very, it's a peculiarly contemporary modern one. We're thinking about the men and women who are very gifted, usually academically, and they focus mainly on that ascent piece. And the people they're talking to are either skeptics or people with serious questions. And so they focus on, they consider Christianity in speculative terms. They look at it, they look at the arguments, they weigh the evidence. And that's one really important part. And people are called to that, but not everybody is. But the second one, the relational element, your actual relationship with Christ and the dynamic and the, the, the way that shapes you and the way your life changes on the basis of that, that's the real heart of apologetics. And that's what Peter's getting at. And that's what we want to to really focus on here, thinking out loud. That I being for too much. <laughs> that being said, we recognize that well, it just, just fits in well with what Cameron was saying, that apologetics as a field, or even any parachurch organization, are all always supplementary at best. The church is God's A plan for the evangelization and the discipleship of growing people Amen. in Christ's likeness. And so we want to put it in our first episode that we are coming out as radically pro-church, pro-local church, not as an ambiguous idea, but that your local fellowship is the place where there is the preaching of the word, where there is repentance of sin, where forgiveness is offered, and Christ-likeness is formed in you in a way that changes the world around you. And so we want to journey along and and clearly identify ourselves as a supplement, um, which might mean that we're not necessary for m- most people. But for those who want to be part of the way that we're both trying to figure out what it means to be husbands and fathers and and good neighbors and local church workers and be embedded in our communities and grow, that's part of the exploration that we're on. Now, granted, the two of us are a little quirky in our desire to read a lot of books and try to make sense of big ideas in the world and see how those global trends apply on micro levels within our lives and what parts of what we actually need to focus on. And yeah, so there's a lot of that that goes on in the background of our conversation too. But fundamentally, what we're pursuing is not unique to people like Cameron and myself. It's a, it's a mandate for everybody who wants to follow Christ well. And so that's what Cameron is saying. We're, we're all in this together. If we're trying to follow Christ, um, there's a very level platform here. 
and we hope that you will continue to enjoy and join in our conversations as we think out loud about what all this means. Well, I think we've covered a lot of territory here, Nathan, and we hope that we hope you're as excited as we are that we're we're back here and we are looking forward to talking to you quite a bit and as we move forward now as we've we've done a little bit of of kind of some recent history here in this episode but we're lo- we're also looking forward to starting to talk about all those items that are filling your news feeds and so we're eager to to jump in there as well but thanks for listening to us this is thinking out loud and it's so wonderful to be back and here's the good news, or different news, or a different ending to old news or to new news, is that you can now find more information about who we are, what we're up to, what we're planning, the content we're producing at thinkingoutloudtogether.com. That's thinkingoutloudtogether.com. So it's thinking out loud, but do we do it by ourselves, Cameron? No, we don't, Nathan. How do, how do we do it? We, we do, do that together. Together. That's right. So thinkingoutloudtogether.com is the is the website where you can find out what we're up to. And also for those of you, many have asked of how you could financially support us getting this uh, project off the ground and rolling. There's a donate button there. And if you feel like you want to be a, a small contributor or a large contributor to what's going on, that would be a great way to um, buy a book for Cameron to read to explain to me. So please do that for my benefit. And uh, we look forward to seeing what the Lord does with all of us and are appreciative to be involved in your lives in this simple way. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book one of our speakers or make a donation, visit thinkingoutloudtogether.com. And lastly, if you like our podcast, spread the word. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating. It really does help.